Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome to Fair Game, the podcast with a firm focus on Irish sportswomen coming to you on the Head Stuff Podcast Network. I'm Elaine Buckley. And I'm Emily Glenn. On this episode of the show, we're going to be talking to a titan of Irish rugby who recently hung up the green jersey for good. But before we do that, just a quick reminder of where you can find us. Check out headstuff.org for a full archive of episodes. Fair Game is also available to subscribe to on iTunes, Android, Stitcher and Spotify. If you could take the time to rate and review us on those too, that would be hugely appreciated. It really helps to spread the good word about Fair Game to other like-minded listeners. And go on, share an episode link on the likes of Twitter, Facebook and WhatsApp. It really helps to spread the word if you like what you hear. Finally, make sure you're following us on Twitter at FairGameCast, where we provide constant updates on everything going on in women's sports on and off the field, both at home and abroad. So our guest for this episode reached the end of her international rugby career just before Christmas and in her own words she said It is with great regret that I am announcing my retirement. I had hoped to finish my career after playing in one last Six Nations but it is not to be. I've been incredibly proud to pull on the Irish jersey and to play for Ireland alongside such talented teammates. The women's game is at a critical junction and I hope to see it driven forward. Since making her debut for Ireland back in 2012, this woman's explosive carries, tireless tackling and powerful presence in the second row helped drive Ireland towards a new era of success, which yielded a historic Grand Slam in 2013, a World Cup semi-final in 2014 and a second Six Nations title in 2015. And she even got herself a nomination for World Rugby Player of the Year in the process. So here to reflect on her six years of answering Ireland's call and to look forward to past years new in the future, Sophie Spence. Sophie, you're very welcome to Fair Game. Thanks very much for having us. Sophie. You announced your retirement from international rugby just before Christmas. So it's a month on. How's it sinking in? Um, I feel a little bit more settled now. Um, Christmas, I was I was a bit sick, as I think was a lot of people. Um, but I think because I was away for Christmas, a bit out of the rugby circle, it took me a bit of time to settle back into Dublin when I arrived back and probably spent a bit of a week having a bit of a wobbler and unsure of what happens now. After a bit of chatting to different people and a bit of time, I've calmed down and realised that... I have time. So it's just about having conversations with people, looking to the future and um, building from there. Yeah, so six years wearing the green jersey, Sophie. We have a lot we want to talk through with you. But first, let's go right back to the beginning. You took up rugby after college. You had played netball up until that point. So what was it that attracted you to kind of switch your sporting focus? They're completely, they're quite different sports. Yeah, um, I just finished my degree and went back to study my master's. And it was literally through a friend who I worked with in the students' union. She said, do you want to try a different sport? Obviously, I said yes. And she signed me up on the Freshers' Fair and it was rugby. I suppose I, I always tell people this because I think it's something that if you work hard at it and you enjoy what you do, you can get to where you want to be. I had never even watched a rugby game before, never even held a rugby ball, didn't have a clue who Brian O'Driscoll was or Paul O'Connell. So that's how clueless I was about the game. And my first coach said to me, run forward, pass backwards. And those are the same steps that I suppose I still take now. Um, but yeah, completely clueless and 
it, you know, it was something just to give it a try. With a career trajectory like that, I think you're telling us that there might be hope for us yet. <laughs> but you got your big break into the Ireland setup when you caught Philip Doyle's eye and an Exiles game in London. Tell us about that. So I think I've been playing for maybe two, two and a half years at that point, And I was playing with Mowden Park Sharks at the time. One of the girls who's actually now over with the Island Sevens squad basically said to me, her dad was from Ireland and said, look, there's a Women's Exiles um, session going on. It's the first ever one. Obviously, they had the setup already for the men. Um, and said let's travel down to London not just a short trip in the car we packed the car and went down for the day um, you're trying to figure out where Newcastle is it's a long drive yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so set off early enough basically again kind of clueless about everything that I was doing um, and I think the talks of what a switch was and everything you know I still hadn't got a clue and I was lucky that day Goose and Keith who was the backs coach at the time was taking a session and he said to me I really like the way you ball carry and go forward but I need you to work on X, Y and Z and the one thing that stuck in my head was fitness and from that session I came home went back to work which I worked in a school at the time and a guy who I worked with who was the rugby coach he played with England up to the under 20 stage and he had a personal trainer Mark who he linked me in with and from that point on I used to travel from um, Newcastle to York once a week um, and do an hour session with him after work and have my fitness plan have my nutritional plan and within three months I got my opportunity in 2012. So kind of getting from that point where you were kind of doing this prep work yourself, was there a trial or was there, what what was your first training experience with with the women's rugby team? That started in 2012, but I suppose I had um, different things that I'd work on and I was in regular contact with Goose. I'd have to send across my game, so I'd be getting my DVDs of my matches and sending them off and making sure that that they arrived, get a bit of feedback, things to work on in the next um, fixture. Um, And again, just keep up with the fitness, keep up with my skills, and then I remember just before Christmas we had to do a fitness test and obviously if you're Dublin based or if you're in Ireland you get together in your provinces or now the girls do it the first weekend at camp and I had to do it was my last day of school all the teachers out in the front the kids have gone and they're having the mulled wine and a mince pie and I'm there ready to do 150s um, and had never done them before to say that the lung burn was unreal it was but Chris he stood there timed me um, had to do my 150s and I literally sent my email put my scores in and maybe a few days later that weekend and I got a phone call from Goose to say you're going to be in the training squad go and enjoy yourself and I just rang my mom and said do you know this is happening and uh, in, in January then went over. That's so exciting but you made your debut for Ireland in 2012 and the setup that you kind of walked into you you guys were enjoying such luxuries at the time as a 17 hour journey to Italy for a Six Nations match there was no sponsor on the jersey and there was say probably a lack of media at the sidelines so describe your impression of the setup I would describe myself as a sponge you know I wanted to learn off everyone as as do I still now as a player so the fact that um, it was Paul we were travelling to um, it was something unreal I think we got the plane we were in traffic um, on the bus missed our connecting flight and had to get an overnight train and just that experience in itself six people in in one little area you know it was like a complete harry potter bunk um and i i don't even know how i fit in you had your bag on the side and obviously not wanting any anyone to rob your stuff in the middle of the night and uh, not not take my boots i suppose it was just an experience that's the only way i can describe it learning all the time learning from the coaches learning from the um senior players and just getting the opportunity to play not having to think, I suppose you were, you were taking in that much knowledge of game plans, um, attack and defence, and 
I suppose when you go out on the pitch, you get the opportunity to do what you do best and constantly learning and, and I'm picking up different things and then understanding why I, I did this in training and how it obviously is relayed then in a game scenario. And I just, the, the one moment I, I remember in 2012 against Wales in Ashburn and at half time the game actually got called off because the pitch was frozen. Um, <laughs> then we went to... Um, Great Fra- times in Ashburn, yeah. weren't they? <laughs> Then we actually went to France, but when we played Wales, we played Wales on one of our weekends off. And I remember we had this move, tea and coffee, and it was like an unders and overs line. And I ran I ran the line and went in for a try underneath the post. And I just remember Lynn Cantwell going, and that's a coffee line and being really proud and going, oh, God, yeah, that's great. You know, I've got something. But that's how I suppose Roy was to the game, do you know? And if you're making Lynn Cantwell proud, you're obviously doing a, <laughs> doing a pretty good job. She has very high standards herself. Um, and you really began to make your presence felt, Sophie, during the 2013 Six Nations. You played every game of that campaign. But at what point did the dream of winning a first ever championship, let alone a Grand Slam, become an attainable reality? When did it kind of click with you that this is actually something that could happen this year? I guess the moment it felt real for me was probably when we were sitting in Italy and we had a team meeting and we were in this tiny little room with white walls and, um, you know, goose at the front and preparing us for what was going to go on. Um, I mean, we went out and played on a very sandy pitch in very cold conditions. I think Claire Malloy obviously was quite ill after that and you can see her poor face in the photos still. Like, I think the senior players would have obviously realised way sooner what was at stake. I think it was points difference between the match before and you know waiting for those results to come in for me it was that moment in Italy still I don't think I understood exactly what that actually meant could you feel it could you was it kind of palpable from the likes of say Joy Neville and Lynn and Fiona Coughlin and kind of the more senior players like that I felt that everyone was calm to be honest you know I suppose they're the senior heads who've been in it for so long and in it together you know to have such a journey and to be part of that they obviously would realize what's at stake but for me it was just being about this learning experience being a part of this journey and you know enjoying it and taking everything in and just seeing the crowd and we had all the flags were on the railings and I think mine had something about me being a turtle the girls called me Toby the turtle from a face that I pulled <laughs> um, but you know it was just great to see that support and even I remember facing to me one of the girls who played Kiwi she actually came over from New Zealand for the match and to think that it meant that much to women's rugby in Ireland just fantastic take us back to that that fateful day in Turin right we'll continue on from there Conditions were horrendous. Um, you said Claire Malloy got hypothermia? She did, yeah. But you came out of this absolute battle against Italy to win the first ever Six Nations Championship for Ireland, completing a Grand Slam in the process. So when the final whistle went, you realised what had happened. Talk us through that moment. I guess very surreal. Lots of hugging, lots of um, cheering, you know, going and clapping the crowd. Um, I don't know, could people jump over the barriers? I think people probably did. Yeah, it, it's very kind of bits and pieces, you know, floating um, to say I enjoyed the night out, I absolutely did. Um, it was a real good... it was good. a week yeah. out afterwards. <laughs> it, well, for, for some of us, we flew back and then flew to Hong Kong for the sevens um, two days later. Yeah, so I didn't enjoy that much, but I certainly enjoyed the night of that. But um, to think that people have been, you know, hunting for the championship for that long and to be a part of it. And I think it's only now that I'm probably only going to start to reflect on what it means. And I suppose how the game can continue to grow and how we develop players and, you know... 
get the support. It was the first women's Irish international match that was on television mm-hmm. as well, which in itself was a huge turning point for the game. Like, you know, it, now, mm. it was far from a classic. Yeah. <laughs> the final score was 6-3. Mm. Um, the worst possible imaginable conditions. But the <laughs> scenes, the scenes at full time are, are just yeah. absolutely brilliant. Like just glorious. Everyone head to toe covered in mud, just yeah. living it up. It was brilliant. I think there was a, a clip of, of me. I think we were... Um, going towards a clubhouse actually and the forwards were picking and going and I thought we made it over the try line clearly didn't but there's me jumping up celebrating and we were only at the five metre line so that was quite embarrassing yeah <laughs> the Grand Slam momentum it didn't carry into the following year Six Nations but there was a World Cup on the horizon later that year so going into it what was the feeling in camp about what was achievable at that time? Well, with Six Nations, you know, it was all about building and coming up with a plan of what we were going to do. So it was never about winning that Six Nations. And that was kind of set out to all of us um, beforehand. Um, our plan was, you know, could we get to a semi-final and what we were going to do to put in place for that. Um, and I suppose once you're in a semi-final, anything can happen. My journey was a little bit different because I had got an injury to my back and didn't know would I be a part of the squad. I came back, I think, maybe five or six weeks just before to prep for the the World Cup. Do you know the the fantastic SNC training that we had with Marion Earls. You know, we were extremely fit. The sessions that we had with Goose and Greg. It was 2014, actually, just before the World Cup. That's actually when I only learned how to pass a ball properly. <laughs> yeah. Good timing. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if I did it throughout the tournament, but uh, that's you know just the the basics. And I suppose because I started that late. You don't get taught those basics, you know, and um, you kind of fast tracked. But yeah, like the preparations for the tournament, um, I was over living in Dublin at the time. So it was something that I could go to the gym with the girls and um, do our horrendous conditioning sessions, dragging mostly Elishigan across the floor and over the shoulder for fireman lifts and things. And then going into, um, into games and running around the posts and then horrendous yoga after. So it was fun times but our preparations you know we had probably I think maybe eight weeks of intense training with camps um, and then once we went to Marcusi we were set um, for just over three weeks was it um, there to prepare for the tournament and play the tournament out and another huge slice of history was achieved on August 5th 2014 I always remember that date because it was <laughs> the best birthday present ever with Ireland beating then reigning world champions New Zealand in Marcusi phenomenal day for Irish sport but what did it mean not to the team, what did it mean to you personally? Um, I just remember, you know, standing in front of the hacker and everyone, you know, respecting respecting what they did. But coming into the circle and I won't repeat exactly what she said, but Lynn Cantwell, massive smile on her face and basically said to us, right, let's go Mendel. Um, and everyone had this grin from ear to ear. And we just knew what our plan was do you know what our aim was and what we want to achieve and everyone was just on the same page which made it so much easier I don't think there was ever a moment when anyone ever doubted anyone's ability and I think that was what was extremely important and what strengthened our game in that day the support that we had in terms of 1 to 15 to 23 um, that that we brought to the game but I suppose the experience we were just so clinical you know, and so driven. Um, and for me, it was this was one of the best games to ever be a part of. Do you know the fact of trying to chase Ali Miller down the wing, and I was nowhere near her, but to try and support her. Lynn did a piece um, with the 42.e in mm. the build up to this World Cup, where she kind of reflected on how Ireland beat the All Blacks, kind of in the very forensic analyst manner that she does. Yeah. Um, and it was just absolutely fascinating, like mm. down to the very finest detail, the plan that mm. that was put in place in advance, but then 
put into action mm. on the day. Again, like I would have still been quite a junior player and to, to say that the coaching staff, how much work they put into that with the senior players and, you know, allowing and letting that translate to the rest of the squad. It was so important that everyone understood that it was crucial. Um, and like I said, you know, everything was just so clinical and there was no no worry when New Zealand went up on us and uh, were very calm in the fact that we knew that we could get back in the game um, to the moment where the intelligence of Tanya keeping the ball in and telling the forwards what to do when that you know that's so important when the kick went out um, and just the timing of all that uh, I suppose they're the decision makers and that's why they're in their roles. You went on from that game to uh, lose in the semi-final to England who eventually won so was that one a tough one to take or even at the time, could you kind of stand back and appreciate how much of an achievement it was even getting that far? Oh, I suppose there was lots of tears. Um, do you know, you could have the evening to absorb it and be upset then, but then, do you know, the next day was a new day and we had to focus for the next match, which was France. Um, it's always difficult, I suppose, when you're facing England, um, and especially in a semi-final, to think the crowd that we had to support us was amazing. And we just, I suppose, we played our final against New Zealand. Um, you know, we gave everything to that game and I suppose the the fact of the amount of training that England had over us, um, you know, it's all it's always gonna benefit them, unfortunately, you know, but but they were the better team on the day. It was um one thing that came out of it that I really remember, it was actually quite a big turning point, not just for women's rugby but for women's sport, was Fiona Coughlin speaking out afterwards mm-hmm. about the lack of criticism you received for the performance because you weren't your, your best selves that, no. that day. It was a below par performance, but everyone seemed kind of happy enough to say well you know it was a semi-final mm. and move on mm. did that annoy you as much as it would have annoyed say Fiona again probably being new to the game I wouldn't have understood that much now I can see why Fiona would have been annoyed and I suppose where the game has got to now it's really important that we can dissect that because we have to ensure that we're keeping up with other nations and you know that we've got the right structures in play to make sure that we can be continue to be successful Um. But rightly so, listening to, and I, I suppose as an athlete, um, at that level, you are your worst critic. Do you know, you, you should be seeking that feedback and wanting to get better and as, a, as an individual and as a, as a team. So you can understand that when people say, oh, well, didn't you do well? You actually look at it and go, well, no, if, if you're honest, do you know, and you can be honest about your performance. Um, no, we, di- we didn't do well, do you know, and... I suppose it comes down to a number of factors and that's what probably we look at as a team and as individuals and how we can move forward. Fiona Coughlin joined us on a very early episode of Fair Game um, and she spoke about that really, really mm. eloquently about the lack of respect that she felt was given by the media to the team when they just kind of patted the team on the back and said, ah, fair play for getting that far, ladies. But after that game, there was a, it was a bit of an end of an era of sorts for the squad. You had the retirement of Philip Doyle, Fiona mm. Coughlin, Lynn Cantwell, some senior players left the squad. Um, was it difficult to refocus afterwards? How did you get on with that? Um, I suppose it was a new era, <laughs> you know, when someone leaves, just like myself, you're, you're not really missed because people move on, you know, and there's new things happening. That To say it was difficult, it was new. Um, you know, I suppose we had the base of players from 2014 to win that Six Nations in 2015 um, because obviously we only had um, the new staff in place for four weeks. Um, so it was obviously based on what we had done from 2014, which obviously made us more successful. 
yeah, I, I suppose with change, it, it depends. It can always be difficult. And I, sometimes I find change is very difficult. And it depends who you work with, what, what, how you like to work as an athlete as well. And um, I suppose they're things that I probably struggled with for the last couple of years. So can you talk us through the, the 2015 campaign a bit mm-hmm. a bit more? Because um, Tom Tierney would have been appointed in, in the December and then mm-hmm. kind of had the Christmas break and then in, into Six Nations prep. It was a weird championship in itself. What are your reflections on on that campaign looking back on it now? I suppose uh, you had a good crowd of people coming from 2014 and looking at where we got to in the semi-final, it was nice to, you know, finish with a, a championship um, and to have a second one. You know, it's a, it's a massive honour to be with that special group. Um, it, it, is a, it is a funny tournament because you had so much change and with such little time, I know... Um, in seasons before, you know, you only have four weekends together, but to have complete new management and then a number of new girls coming in, everything's new and it's such little time. It's like what's happening now, I suppose. Um, so it's kind of quick learning and what can we put in place? Um, but it was a very up and down tournament and I suppose very exciting, which I suppose with with retirees, that's what can happen as well within sport. During those series of World Cup and Six Nations tournaments, your powerhouse performances earned you a nomination for World Player of the Year in 2015. So you had your name up there in the pantheon of rugby's greatest players. You were one of three to be nominated. Uh, I'm going to get their names. I'm going to get the pronunciation really bad here. Um, but it was Gaël Mignon, uh, who's French captain, and Kendra Coxedge <coughs> from New Zealand. So how did that feel? I think, you know, within sport, especially team sport, you're never going to get anywhere without everyone around you, you know. So for me, kind of felt quite embarrassed, to be honest. If I look at my performance in 2015, I didn't think I'd played my best rugby. I didn't think I was in the best condition, like I was in much better condition for the World Cup. But yeah, massive honour. And, you know, to be to be up against the likes of those two girls as well, you know, um, fantastic. You yeah. brought your mum to the ceremony? I did, yeah. I did, yeah. I don't think there would be anyone else who I would be bringing. Yeah, she she loved it, you know, um, wine and dining with the with the fellas. Good stuff. And it, it was around that time as well that we got the, the exciting news that Ireland would be hosting the, the next Women's Rugby World Cup um, between Dublin and Belfast. If you can remember kind of back then, two years out from it, what did the prospect of playing in a home World Cup mean to to you at that time? It's extremely exciting. Um, to think that had such a special tournament in 2014 um, just the culture the group you know the ethos of, of what we all felt and um, such energy into what we were bringing um, and to host it here you know where you've got a home crowd we had massive support out in Marcusi which was fantastic um, but to think that you could have so much more and grow the game because obviously the numbers have been grown since 2013 with the Grand Slam you know the vision was that we would do great things your path to that vision um, was interrupted in September 2016. You got seriously concussed um, in a club game for Al Belvo. And it was an injury that sidelined you for that year's Autumn International Series and it carried over into the 2017 Six Nations. Tell us about that time in your career. It's very difficult because that was 2016 in September. I think I played three club games, um, playing against UL away and um, kind of took a knock felt felt I had a bit of a headache went off and I was like no actually I'm grand you know I'm absolutely fine went back on it was in the last few minutes of the game went to make a tackle and kind of don't remember the last few moments after that um just kind of being up on one knee got driven home and you know looked after and I didn't think too much about it but then 
I suppose the symptoms kind of continued with headaches and didn't like too much noise and eyes getting sore after, do you know, if I was trying to drive distance and things. It was it was a difficult one because I think, do you know, it was something as an athlete you used to your structure. Um, even though early morning gym sessions can be annoying, do you know, but it was the fact that I couldn't do that, which meant then I wasn't around the group of players who I would see every single day, do you know, who are my friends as well and missing the lunches, missing the, missing the breakfasts and the coffees and it takes you away from that community setup that you're in. So I found it very difficult. Um, and especially then my mom's at in, in Newcastle. So you don't even have that to kind of rely on, um, apart from phone calls, which you don't really want to necessarily be on the phone whilst you're suffering from that. In terms of work, I would go in the odd hour, but couldn't really handle handle that either. Um, and work were very good to me um, at the time to take the time off. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a difficult one and quite miserable and quite down and things. And it took me a while. I would go to the odd Belleville session um, just to watch. But then you didn't feel a part of it just because you couldn't. You used to being involved, do you know. And then even the fact of just trying to make conversation with people, it wasn't. I, I wasn't myself. So the fact that I tried to return to play twice and didn't go through the steps. Um, meant that I had to see a neurologist um, and basically got signed off for a month, which meant I would be missing the autumn nationals. But I think the fact that I was probably pressurising myself to get back quicker definitely put a lot, lot more stress on my body. Um, and until I kind of got signed off, it meant that I wasn't relaxing. And once I did get signed off, I could actually accept it and go, this is this is actually reality. This is what I've got to do to get better. Now, I know you've a master's in, in sports psychology, but was there any of that kind of support offered in, in dealing with that? Because it is quite a seismic change to go from an intense training mm. program like that to nothing. No, I suppose my support network um, would have been friends. Do you know, like Fee, Ailish, Nora, those were the people I would have been contacting regularly about things. My mom. It was that kind of support network of people who kind of kept me going because I suppose with any injury when you're not involved it is very difficult but for something that takes you away from everything you can't do anything do you know. You mentioned there getting through the steps so I'm not sure what the kind of regulations are for getting back into to, to rugby after an injury like that but do you think that concussion um, is taken seriously enough in women's rugby and talk us through if you will the current rules and regulations. Um, I suppose now if, if there is a concussion, if, if there's any sign of head injury, you'll be asked to leave the pitch. Um, in terms of uh, club games, you won't return the pitch. But in terms of international, you'll be doing the HIA. If, if you pass the test, obviously you can go back on. Um, what do they do in a HIA? Um, good question. It's I've only had one before, but it's um, you would have certain screeners. So you'd have your baseline of your numbers, your words, counting backwards, to repeat, repeating different things, stand on one leg, to walking eyes closed and things. So there's a number of different activities that you'll have to follow. Um, and obviously it'll be looked at in relation to your baseline. Um, don't quote me on that because I can't remember <laughs> everything. Um, but it is very interesting. Uh, obviously, club game is obviously different in terms of the medical staff that you have internationally to not having the same setup within um, within within club game. Do you think there? Do you think that the the protocols are up to code? Again, internationally, um, when you look at it, because you have your team doctor, 
um, and you can have reg regular contact. The steps that you follow, obviously, um, your bike to your run to your, um, going back in the gym and doing like weights to eventually doing contact and intensifying everything. Um, it's monitored in a short period of time. But if you don't hit those steps, obviously, you've got to go back a step. And if you've got symptoms again, that's it. You've got a certain period of time off then. Whereas if you're in the club game and you don't have that constant contact with the doctor, um, it's a it's a, a long a much longer period that you have to rest for before you can actually start the steps were you were you scared going back on or or were you able to just park it and just get stuck in i don't think i was scared in terms of the concussion i was actually nervous in terms of what would i bring to the team because i suppose i hadn't um trained up until january um it was early january i hadn't done my return to contact um and it was kind of a three week period to get fit, um, which obviously can be very difficult. <laughs> um, I wasn't included um, in the first game and I'd only been, I think I'd only been into one or two camps. So I wasn't completely up to scratch with what the game plan was. So I suppose being a part of a team who've been training together for a certain period of time and having the internationals, autumn internationals, do you know, you're, you're kind of going, God, do I deserve to be here? Am I on the same wavelength as everyone else? Um, do you know, I was playing a different position. I came on as eight. Um, but I suppose, do you know, do what my first coach said, run forward, pass backwards, <laughs> <laughs> do you know, and um, support everyone on the pitch. And it was exciting to be back, do you know, and I had the players who know me very well, the likes of Ailish and Nora, who give me the pat on the head when I need it. And, do you know, kind of chin up and plough through. Following that then, the year, I suppose, is most notable for the 2017 Home World Cup. Obviously, since then, we've heard a wide range of views and opinions um, in the media about Ireland's preparations for that. But with the benefit of hindsight, mm. um, as a player who was in the thick of it, what is your take on it now? Um, it's a great question to ask, thanks. Um, <laughs> And I suppose when you're going through the motions and you're in it, um, there are things that you want to do and make changes if you're not happy with. But at the end of the day, you're not the boss. Um, do you know, you want to represent your country. You want to be in a home World Cup. You want to put your hand up for that jersey. So, uh, do you know, you've got to be training well. You've got to put your hand up for that and compete against others in the squad and also be a team player. And I suppose it's, it's like any job. You don't want to step out the line as well in order to get the sack really I suppose so I, I think things could have been done differently um, if I'm honest it's, it's difficult to say what exactly a number of things I, I would probably say but um, in terms of preparations just more time together more more integration with 7s and 15s of those who are going to be in the squad different types of training um, different types of training that probably suit different athletes um, but yeah I think do you know, it is one of those moments where you can look back and say, well, what could we have done? But, do you know, we can dwell on it or be solution focused and say, right, that didn't work well. OK, we can take that and let's put the the structures in place and let's move forward and go, well, OK, what can we do and what can we put in place to make sure that that doesn't happen again? But we can actually improve and do better. Speaking of structures, the, the World Cup tournament structure in itself is incredibly demanding, like the, the three, four day turnaround. Mm. It's very intense in terms of kind of recovery and refocusing on that match from to, to the next. Did the home element of it kind of add further pressure to you or were you kind of able to block it out in the bubble of camp and just focus on the group matches as they were structured? 
it was a funny one because I, I feel like we were probably in more of a, a fishbowl, to be honest. Um, I know that we were all on campus and staying just across the way from each other and stuff, but we didn't see a lot of other teams. Um, do you know, we were eating and it was kind of barricaded off so you wouldn't, do you know, look over at each other and things. You might be in the same queue as people, but... Um, I suppose it, it was a big eating hall where you don't want to be sitting next to the opposition that you might be facing. So there's kind of the, those boards so that you wouldn't really see what they're eating. So you, you, know? you weren't just shooting the breeze with Safi and I over, oh, no. over <laughs> eggs in the morning, no, right? Not at all. What are you eating there? Let me have a little look. <laughs> um, and I suppose the intensity of how, how much we were training. So we our schedule was fully packed. Um, in all that preparation, so there was wasn't much time for downtime. When you were taking your downtime, my feet were always up on the bed or in the in the apartment with who I was sharing with. Your teammate Ruth O'Reilly mm. on the morning of Ireland's seventh or eighth place playoff against Wales, she dropped a bombshell in an explosive tell-all interview with mm. the Irish Times. Um, did you guys know about that heading out, or did you were you aware of it before you kind of headed out onto the pitch? I wasn't aware that Ruth was doing that. I was aware that the article was out because I read it that morning. Um, so it was something, you know. I suppose then a few people would have chatted about. Um, but then it was done. Do you know? Oh, I didn't realize Ruth was doing this. Okay. Um, do you know? Read it. Interesting. All right. Focus on the game. Do you know? So it wasn't anything to mm. shift your focus or anything like that. Okay, yeah, because it's 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 interesting because it was like when I saw it that morning, I was just this was the first thing I thought about was I wonder have the players seen that and what do they think of it? But um, I suppose you're there to do a job. Mm. You're in the dressing room to go to prepare and and go out and play a match. Um, it didn't go to, to plan in in the final game and in the aftermath of the World Cup, you summed up Ireland's experience as follows: bodies are sore, but also people's pride. Is that still how you'd sum it up? With kind of, you know, a few months on, it's kind of more in the memory now. How do you feel? How do you look back on it now? It's a funny one because I suppose I didn't finish just after the World Cup, just finishing before Christmas. It's a it's a bit of a different one for me um, to say I would like to have not had my last game beaten by Wales um, would have been lovely. Um, but sometimes you don't get to choose. And the pride thing, I think, is, is what hurts the most. You know, bodies will recover. Um, and I think... Do you know, if we can, as players, make a difference in terms of things moving forward, I think that can help us. And what actually happened in the experience, um, you don't want that just to sit and die there and just people to forget about it. I think it is important that we talk about it and um, really push forward. We understand how the men's game works and the structures in terms of schools and clubs. Can we get the same or similar resources that can make sure that um, and ensure that we have, you know, really good club structures, more people playing in schools, more competitions to, you know, um, development of coaches. And um, like I always say, the under 20 squad, which will give people experience to hit that international level and play opposition um, and expose them instead of, you know, like myself, 21 starting, exposed at 24, not having a clue. And then, if you think how much the game has advanced in terms of SNC even and big girls running at you, do you know, and when I say big, I'm talking about physically strong, do you know, and conditioned, um, which are incredibly powerful to someone who might be 18 and getting capped and never been to the gym before and even done a bodyweight squat um, just in terms of um, injury prevention. 
do you know there's a massive difference the level is huge will that be on your mind when you're playing club rugby sometimes that you know as as an international playing in in the AIL as as it is now mm. would that be something you're you're conscious of like would you like I, d- I don't think any elite athlete ha- has it in them to to hold back mm. but is it a factor oh yeah definitely because y- the thing is you don't want to put people off um and it's not it's not something like I'm not fit at the moment, do you know, but still, do you know, if you put yourself in the right position and um, whether it's, you know, handing somebody off or making a tackle um, and you do it well, then, do you know, there's a difference, a size difference. Um, now, I mean, someone I played a couple of weeks ago and someone nailed me in the chest and to say I was winded. Um, there was a big cheer from the, the opposition's crowd. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, but it is something that plays on your mind because you don't want to put people off the game. You want them to be able to develop. You want them to um, you know, aspire to be the best that they can be and grow to the level that they want to be in. You've spoken about the importance of coaching there and, and developing the under-20s uh, squad. And um, you founded the Spence Rugby Academy back in 2016. And you're obviously kind of seeing a future for yourself in coaching. Um, tell us a bit about that. I love it. I love it. Do you know, since I've moved over here, I've worked with Leinster, I've worked with DCU, um, do you know, and spent a good bit of my time doing that. Um, in 2016, I decided to start up my own academy, which... Um, you know, I had four four camps um trying to do it provincially wide and you know, a couple of them I had four girls there. Um and I remember someone saying to me that I met for coffee, just no matter how many numbers you you get, do it. Go through with it. And there were the best days um to the numbers that I had last last year, you know, camps of up to fifty, um, which is fantastic and excited to see what happens this year. Um but it's definitely something that I want to be involved in, whether it be development of the the whole game, and especially if I can help support the female game, um, and whether it be coaching or development pathways, that's an area that I want to stay in. And are you going to be kind of keeping up the Spence Rugby Academy now, kind of this year, or have you have you any plans going forward for it? Yeah, I'm going to host uh, camps, uh, ten camps this year. Um, so I've got Nissan back on board, um, for, as my sponsor, my main sponsor, an Irish built on Glenisk, which is fantastic. Um, just linking in with clubs at the moment to set down dates, and um, you know, excited what the next few months will hold for those, and hopefully see a few of them in you know provincial jerseys and green jerseys in the future. And what's kind of the run of it for the for the kids what what age group go along to these like how is it what's the kind of run of, run of their day so they were supposed to be 13 to 18 um but with clubs you know they always ask could you do younger and i don't mind you know if if they want there um i'll absolutely work with the clubs and see what what i can do obviously you don't want five-year-olds working with 18 year olds and <laughs> things um but i'll definitely work it to complement the club um and you know give the best opportunities that i can um, but there's another new venture for you on the horizon as well. You are taking up a role as part of RTE's upcoming Women's Six Nations coverage. Is the media side of rugby something you're keen to pursue? It's something different. Um, I wasn't too sure whether to do it or not. Um, and I think a lot of people probably thought, is it because of the closeness with the team? It's more so around taking yourself away from that playing and coaching role to looking at the analytical side of things. Um, obviously, you analyse your own performance and your team's performance throughout the games, but to vocally share that um, is something different for me. 
So I suppose it's going to be a different experience and hopefully I'll enjoy it and I won't mess up. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think see how this goes and see what happens from there. But I think in terms of on the flip side of that, you say looking at your own performance and your team's performance, you've also spent a vast amount of time looking at Ireland's opposition's performance mm. as well and video analysis is so like, you know, you know those French teams, that English mm. team inside out at, at this stage. Um, and with that in mind, I suppose, with your, your, your brand new media hat on, what do you make of Ireland's chances going into this Six Nations? I suppose this is a development, yeah. Finishing from the World Cup, there'll be a number of retirees. Um, three home games. Um, I'd like to think that they're going to target the three home games for the win. Um, difficult one, France away, first match um, away from home. And France are always difficult. Um, but I, I, I'd like to think, right, OK, if we can target... You know, to achieve our three home games, get the win there, and that will be a brilliant start on the f- new four-year journey for a World Cup. Um, do you know, there's a lot of new players who will be involved there. Um, some sevens who I'm sure will will um come in as well after Sydney. So it's going to be a new look team. Um, I think, but if they, if they can target those home games, I think that'll be a really great start. I'm really looking forward to some of the home games. There's one up on the 11th of Feb, I think, out in Donnybrook. Uh, we tweet links to them all the time, so <laughs> nobody has an excuse to say they didn't know they were on. Um, but look, since retirement, you've been back playing with your club, Old Belvedere, uh, alongside some familiar faces. Uh, Norris Stapleton, who also retired in 2017, and Jenny Murphy, who's on a break from international rugby. So is it safe to say you haven't lost the love for the sport? Um, the club have been very, very good. Um, to be fair, you know, bringing me back in and saying, "Look, just come, you know, you can relax, have a bit of crack," and that's what it's been. Um, and we've won along the way as well. And um, to to say that I can play with Nora and Jenny again, um, as well as the other girls, is fantastic because I didn't get to play the last fixture there in the World Cup with Nora, and um, which was quite sad. I know it's a bit different playing for club, but. Um, do you know, I suppose when you've spent that much time with players, you understand what they're going to do and um, how they work. So it's nice to kind of have that familiarity and in the club set up. So I'll definitely see the season out. Good stuff. And finally, Sophie, to wrap us up. So you've played with and against some of the best in the business. So we have to ask during your time on the international rugby pitch, who is the best player you've played alongside? Ooh. Good question. Um, and we're putting you right in the spot. Yeah. So the answer <laughs> is no much. warning is for it, this question. Yeah. <laughs> is there a clock countdown? Um, God, best player. I think, obviously, I didn't have a lot of time with that. But if I can reflect now in terms of what she knows and why why she would have been telling me certain things, um, probably Lynn Cantwell, the knowledge that she has and... Um, just the understanding and, and you know the growth of how she helps develop players um if only i had a bit more time with her i think you know i could could have reflected a bit better on that but yeah probably lynn and what about the toughest opponent that you've faced toughest opponent who hits hard oh god safi <laughs> yeah when she <laughs> mulled me off the side of the pitch this world cup yeah yeah i'd, I'd say safi yeah Big thanks to Sophie Spence for taking the time out of her busy schedule to join us in the fair game hot seat to reflect on her stellar career in the green jersey. You can follow Sophie on Twitter at Spence underscore 87 and on Instagram at Spence dot 87 to keep up to date with her post-retirement ventures. 
Follow us on Twitter too at FairGameCast for 24-7 updates on all things women in sport. With the return of the Gaelic Games National Leagues, the Women's Six Nations, the National Amateur Boxing Championships and the next stage of the Irish Soccer Team's World Cup qualifying campaign, there's a lot to look forward to in the coming months. So let us keep you up to speed on all of that and more and we hope to see you out in force on the sidelines. And finally, a reminder to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Android, Stitcher and Spotify. That way you'll get our next release direct to your device. That's all for this episode. We'll chat to you again next month. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Court Furniture Clearance Center for up to 70% off new retail prices. Stock is updated regularly, so you never know what kind of treasures you'll find. We offer a wide variety of stylish furniture for any budget, and every piece is court certified, so you can let your personality show in every room. And now through April 3rd is our tax refund sale. Mention refund 25 and take 25% off living room and dining room sets. Use your refund and refresh your home with stylish finds from Court Furniture Clearance Center. Go to courtclearancefurniture.com today.